Howdy and welcome back. You are listening to part two of Community in Conflict. Before we get to that, I wanted to give you another reminder that we will be off for the remainder of the year. We will be back in January, so look for us then. Enjoy this episode. And, and it's in that very small circle of people that there's the safety um, and the commitment to say, okay, well, we accept you in that mess. We have our mess too, and we'll walk with you through it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, like I said, I think it is wise for us not to be completely exposed all the time because uh, there are pernicious people out there. They really are. And so pernicious. And we, we know wow. that. I'll tell you what. That's a big word. I know. I like that. Am I impressing you? <laughs> I'm always impressed with you. Why? <laughs> well, you know, it's that. interesting that you talk about that. This is a really tricky dance for preachers, for pastors. Um, I want to model a certain authenticity and a certain vulnerability for my church family mm. as the pastor. Because I want them to say, I want them to, you know, to know it's, this is a safe place. And so I try to share some of, you know, my mess and some of my brokenness and, and, and where I fail and how sin has manifested itself in my life. But even, even in doing that, I have to craft it in a careful kind of way because I'm not always feeling safe of what people will do with that. Yeah. I feel like they got the dirt on the pastor, you know, and so some people can, that can be great fodder for gossip. Did you know this about our pastor? Or it can be, um, it can be a source of disappointment for some people. Oh, my pastor thinks that way or has done that. And, and, and some people, they have this image of what they think their spiritual leaders should be. And so if I'm, too vulnerable with some of the gory details of my messy journey, then um, I end up disappointing people and, and I can kind of get that back on the waters mm-hmm. in different ways. So um, it, it's really, um, it's important to me to be authentic. It's important to me to model a vulnerability about our journey because I don't ever want to portray it as, having it all together or that it's a journey without its issues and problems. But um, how you do that in the life of your community is, as a pastor is even a tricky sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, heck, I, I mean, I think even just being on a staff at a church, I mean, even I've gotten plenty of the, don't you work at a church? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Thank you for making me feel bad about myself now. Thanks a lot. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but anyways, no. So, so there is all of this, um, these effects within relationships. But this redemptive community, and and I think the, you've said that it's impossible to do this faith thing by ourselves, or at least within the design of which God's created it. And you see arguments for that in the scriptures all over the place in the New Testament, particularly. Um, but there is this emphasis on, hey, you guys, you guys need to do this in community, and you need to be prepared to uh, work to keep that community. Is that right? Yes. Um, and there's kind of 
two main overarching ideas, which is love and I believe unity is what you said. Yeah. Kind of dive into that. Yeah, you know, I'm always trying to break down a discussion in in as you know simple terms as possible. Not not because people are simple, but it's just easier to manage if you keep things um, fairly approachable in its simplicity. So I like to look at overarching uh, dynamics or principles of my understanding of the scriptures. And so when you look at the Church of the New Testament and you know, if you would like, um, like a tapestry, if you put all these threads together from Matthew to the book of Revelation, you, you see that there's these two really big uh, yarns that get knitted into this tapestry, and that is the whole theme of love. Love your neighbor, love each other as brothers and sisters, love your enemies. I mean, love, love, love. First Corinthians 13, greatest of these is love in all the different ways that love is expressed. And then there's just verses all over the New Testament about unity, that what God is wanting is a church body or a church family that lives in unity with one another. That doesn't mean uniformity that we're all alike it just means that we're all on the same page moving toward the same objective honoring the same sort of values and principles so yeah if you take the the you take a broad look at the new testament about the church god wants the church to be characterized by love and unity mm-hmm. and so if we just if we just take that framework as sort of a fixed structure then, then we have something to kind of put everything up against, that whatever we're doing as a church, is this advancing love and is this protecting unity? Well, that comes to bear on our relational dynamics. That if there's any way that I'm behaving or there's any way that somebody else is behaving that isn't loving or isn't... Um, developing or nurturing unity then the church family has a responsibility for addressing it Mm -hmm. what you're doing is not a loving expression of brothers and sisters in christ or what you're doing is a threat to the unity of this church family and this is important we we not just the pastor or the pastors the church family is commissioned to do whatever it takes to preserve the very best of what is love and what is unity in in that family. Yeah. Um, you know, there's two sides of the coin. You know, heads you ta- heads you win, tails you lose. Right. So we we'll use head as the winning side. So heads heads is God's side of the of the coin. Um, he has a design for the church, love and unity. And so he's designed the church to operate in a certain way so that love and unity prevails. And um, he knows that when relationships get messed up, you know, offense and hurt happens, then he's given the church instructions about how to address that, how to work through that, how to reconcile that. Because he knows that that's good and best. That's his design. 
If you live in love and unity with each other, then you will thrive as a church family. You will experience joy and peace and hope and all of the delightful things that come with blessing. And then the flip side of the coin tells you lose, is we could say that Satan, the enemy of the church and the enemy of Christians, his whole work is to divide and destroy. And so he loves it when we're angry at each other. He loves it when we offend one another and don't fix it. He loves it when we you know, start sitting on opposite sides of the auditorium on Sunday because we're so mad at somebody, or he loves us when when we're, we stop coming to the 9 o'clock service because the person we're mad at comes to that service, so we just come to the 11 o'clock service. And mm. he loves it when we don't move toward the reconciliation. He loves that because then he wins, we lose, because now we're living in resentment and anger and bitterness and a host of these fairly destructive feelings that hurt our soul. And that's what he wants. He wants our soul to hurt. He wants our soul hurt. So it's so important that the church, and again, I'm talking about like the entire church family, be very passionate and active toward love and unity because when um, when we avoid the hard work of re- uh, relational reconciliation, then we're just giving Satan an opportunity to wreak havoc in our church. Yeah. Well, and that's, and I think how you framed that too was the responsibility was on both sides of the conflict. It was on the offender to recognize his wrong, but also on the offended to tell the offender of the offense. Because a lot of the time, like I experienced this, I'll have hurt people's feelings or I've done something that's bothered somebody for a long time. And they'll tell me six months later as it's just grown into this huge monster. And then I'm like, I don't even remember what you're talking about. What? <laughs> what? Right. And so, and then they use that later on. And it's like, what the, um, yeah. but yeah, to have that responsibility on both sides rather than just, just wait for the offender to come and apologize. It's like, well, he might not even know what he's done wrong. Exactly. Yeah. There's, um, you know, there's a number of key passages in the new Testament that give us guidance about how we, you know, pursue, relational reconciliation within the body and two of the premier ones come from the teachings of jesus so matthew chapter 5 and matthew chapter 18 and in matthew chapter 5 the the scenario is this if while you're worshiping at the altar you remember oh i'm not a i'm not at peace with one of my brothers it doesn't matter who's Who's the offender there? I'm not at peace with them. I'm supposed to go and work that out. And then Matthew 18, it's um, if someone has hurt you, Mm. you're to go to them. Don't wait for them to recognize that they hurt you. Don't wait for them to admit it. Like you said, they might not even be aware. Because what they did, maybe in their dysfunction... They didn't even know. Or maybe in your dysfunction, you took something away that they never intended. Yeah. So Matthew 18 is, if someone's hurt you and you are aware of the pain, you are to go to them, not wait for them to come to you. Mm. And so I think between those two key passages, at least, we have 
um, directives that whether we're feeling offended or we have offended, we have a responsibility to to go. And I love the I love the thought in Matthew five where it's like, leave your gift at the altar, go and be reconciled. Um, because it really shows, in my mind, it shows what's most important to God. Yeah. What's most important to God is that you be right and at peace with your brother rather than you going through the motions of properly worshiping me. Yeah, and that's that's an easy way to make yourself feel good or holy or oh, yeah. pious if you're like, well, I'm just going to do my own thing and leave that yeah, yeah, alone. Yeah, and, I, you know... I think the reason for that is relational reconciliation can be really hard, really difficult, mm-hmm. really awkward, and we don't like to do hard things. We don't like to do awkward things. So we would much rather just sort of, you know, uh, knuckle down and worship harder as a way to a kind of appease ourselves that we're okay and we're right with God because well, I'm really into this worship and I'm really listening to this message and I'm really doing my, you know, serving thing. But the whole time God's going, um, if you say you love your brother, but you hate them, you're missing the mark. You're, you're not, you're not living in obedience to me. So go and take care of that. Mm. That's more important. I, you know, the phrase in the old Testament it's better to obey than to sacrifice. And that's exactly what Matthew 5 is about. It's better that you go in obedience to the pursue the reconciliation than you stand at the altar and make the sacrifice. Well, yeah. God's certainly God's honored by sacrifice, but he's not honored with our sacrifice when we're living in deliberate disobedience to something we know is our responsibility. Well, and even whenever you obey, and I understand like what the verse is saying, but even whenever you obey, you're sacrificing your own, at the very least, preference or comfortability um, to go and take care of that. Yes, you know. Yes. Um, so I, I, I have certainly read these verses in the time, or these verses, or, or these ideas in times where I'm in the midst of conflict. And now I, I think, just personal thing about me, I'm kind of naturally set up to where if there's some kind of uh, brokenness in one of my relationships, it drives me literally insane. I won't sleep. It just, I get, I won't eat as much. Mm-hmm. I hate it. Um, that's, I think it's, we did some like spiritual gifts in the past, but I think that's part of it. But anyways, regardless, I still have read these things and been like, well, why should I work to bear with so-and-so? Yeah. Why should I work? Why should I, why is that my responsibility why should I love or forgive someone who's done that? And, and, and why should I even associate myself with that group of people if they're yeah. no different? Yeah. So we have these, you know, Ephesians 4 and Galatians 3 and 1 Corinthians 1. We, we have these passages that talk about bearing with one another. What What I think that is is, in this framework of love and unity within the framework of like mercy and grace. And because we're all sinners and we're all broken, we're all a mess. We all do stupid stuff to hurt other people and offend 
even though we don't always know it or are aware of it. I think what the writers of the New Testament are saying when they say bear with one another is, you know, this, this is part of the deal. This is part of the experience. There's going to be this mess, and we're not always going to do and say the right thing, and we are going to hurt and we are going to offend, and that doesn't give us permission to be sloppy about it. But you just have to recognize it is a part of the equation. So quit driving such a hard bargain that every little thing has to become, you know, a war. Every little thing has to be raised to such a level of importance. Like, I can't have anything to do with that person or I can't talk to them anymore. We're all going to do stupid stuff. So, you know, it's in a sense, it's like, chill out. I mean, just relax in grace, in mercy, and deal with the fact that we're all broken in a mess. So, you know, ride out the little storms rather than turn them into, you know, great big causes of offense yeah and the reason that we do it is because love and unity is so important that if if you get all wound up over every little thing that isn't your preference and you can't bear with one another um, then you just live in turmoil all the time and people who live in turmoil are ornery and they create trouble and Mm -hmm. they they end up becoming very critical, very caustic, um, very inflexible. And I think the wisdom of the New Testament is saying, don't live like that. That's just a lousy way to live, and nobody wins. So just bear with one another. And the whole, the whole um, admonition to bear with one another is up against the context that just like Jesus bears with you, He's offered you forgiveness. He died for your sins. But you know what? You keep sinning, and he keeps tolerating you. He yeah. keeps putting up with you because he looks past your brokenness and your dysfunction and the sinfulness that characterizes your soul. He looks past that, and he goes, well, that's that's Paul. Paul, he's like that. I'm not going to drive such a hard bargain that I can't deal with Paul anymore. No. It's in the context of his outrageous grace that he's like, he understands. this. Paul will act like this at times. That doesn't mean I don't have responsibility to deal with it. But it's I'm safe in the saving work of Jesus and his outrageous grace that I don't have to live in fear every second that I've somehow outpaced God's love for me and now I'm out. Man, you saying that just really, uh, it made so much more sense why the church is considered the bride, right? Mm. Ah, it's like right. that marriage, you yeah. know? Um, and that's that's a huge benefit of marriage and the idea of it at least that, hey, I can make mistakes. I can show you how messed up I am. And you've agreed to not run away. Yes. Right? Oh, Wyatt, that's that's a really great observation, uh, and it's interesting. So you go to um, what is it, Ephesians chapter five? The Apostle Paul in verses twenty one through thirty three is talking about instructions to husbands and wives, and in um, verse thirty two of that passage, he says, "I'm talking about marriage, but I'm talking about the church." <laughs> I'm talking about the church, and I'm talking about marriage. 
And you're exactly right. Marriage, because it's a commitment, it's it's a commitment more than it is love. Yeah. That's the unique nature of a man and a woman making vows to each other is we have now declared a commitment to one another, a covenant that no matter how hard it gets and no matter how broken you are and how broken I am, we are committed to loving each other through it. And so, yeah, um, every married couple will tell you, as you anticipate getting married here <laughs> in the next little while, there's a lot of bearing with each other mm-hmm. that goes on in marriage. If the marriage is going to be anything peaceful, if every time somebody did the littlest thing to tick you off in the context of marriage, that you were going to make it again, this you know huge offense, no couple would ever get through the day still talking to each other because. Yeah. You know, somebody leaves their shoes in the middle of the floor and you trip over them or someone doesn't put uh, dishes back in the sink or somebody Just, leaves the toilet seat up. Or You have only named things that the husband does. So <laughs> well, I'm a just... A thousand percent. I'm a professional. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, that is such a great insight. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really proud of you for bringing that out. I'll that's, surprise you every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, no, I think that's a great illustration of what bear with one another means, is that we're in this together. We're all a mess. We're all broken. We're all going to do stupid stuff. So rather than turn everything into this, you know, elevate everything to some huge offense, we just put up with each other. We bear with each other. Yeah. All in the context of that's how God deals with us as he he bears with us one and along with that bearing essentially we have what two choices we can either drop it or deal with it um what are both of those what are the pros and cons of each of those essentially yeah when i was teaching this on a sunday um and we were talking about you know forgiving and we were talking about bearing with each other in the face of these minor offenses. I said, you have two choices. Either you drop it or you deal with it. And what I mean by dropping it is that you really let it go. Yeah. You're forgetting about it. You're moving on. It's not a thing. What, I'm, what I see so often is dropping it for many people just means I'm afraid to deal with it. So I'm just going to pretend like it's no big deal. But what they do is they take that offense and they put it in their pocket. Mm-hmm. And then they take the next offense because they don't want to deal with it and they put it in their pocket. And pretty soon they got these pockets full of offenses. And they're just sort of operating from a, from a place of wound and hurt and anger and frustration because they won't deal with it. And when I say drop it, I'm talking about being honest like i am truly forgetting that this happened i'm truly not going to let this be an issue between you know if if you hurt my feelings and it really isn't anything for me to you know cycle back with you about and work through it was a minor offense then i just need to let it go Mm -hmm. like 
I know Wyatt. I know he didn't mean that. I know he wouldn't have never he would have never intended to do that. It's not a big deal. I'm moving on. I trust Wyatt. I admire Wyatt. I respect Wyatt. I'm going to have uh, camaraderie and harmony with Wyatt. I'm not going to make this a thing, and I'm not going to hang on to it. Yeah. Now, if something, if you did something repeatedly, and I see, well, this is a pattern, and this keeps dinging me, well, now I have to deal with it. Yeah. It's not just something I can let go. Now I deal with it, and that's the second option is, okay, if it was really that big of a deal, is that that offensive or that hurtful? Well, now you have to go do something about it, and now we're looking at passages like Matthew 5 and Matthew 18 and and a couple others that give us instructions about, here's what I do. I go to my brother in private. I, I come to you and say, hey, Wyatt, maybe you don't even know that you do this, but when you say this or when you do this, this really, it, it hurts my feelings or um, it offends me. Can we can we kind of hash this out, mm-hmm. try to get an understanding? Because you may be doing it and don't even know it, yep. or I may need to kind of face up to um, whatever dysfunction or insecurity is driving how I feel about it. And so if you're going to deal with it, then deal with it biblically. Yeah, Deal with it in a healthy, God-honoring way, which I think is passages like Matthew 5 and Matthew 18 and a few other guiding principles that we see in um, like Galatians 6 and James. So um, that's what I mean. Drop it. Like don't hang on to it. Yeah. Don't keep it. You know what's First Corinthians tell us? Love doesn't keep a record of wrong. Some people, they live their life keeping records of wrongs. They never want to go do the hard work of, you know, confronting somebody and talking something through. But man, they got a whole Rolodex. They said this on this date. They did that on this date. And they could, you know, they could click through a whole file of offenses that somebody, because they're not dropping it. No. Well, I think some people, like I see this a lot now in um, relationships that I'm talking about, either with my friends or people a little bit younger than me. And I think this probably goes for everyone, but. It's like some people enjoy martyring themselves. <laughs> it's like, I'll just take all this pain, but then I'm going to come complain to you about it. And I'll be like, well, have you talked to them about that, that yet? And they'll be like, well, no. no. It's because of these excuses they give for them yeah. while they just sit there and they're yeah, sulking mar- us. The martyrdom complex is all dysfunctional and insecurity. Yeah. It's, it's just a manipulation of relationship and... It's the impact of sin. And it's easier to play the martyr or the victim than it is to take responsibility for the healthy right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We're seeing that in society, like in spades. Um, entire groups of people preferring to play the victim than to take responsibility for their actions and their destiny. It's just easier to blame another group of people for whatever their experience is rather than um, owning up to their part in the equation. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm at the age now where a lot of the people that I went to high school with are now done with college. So I'm experiencing a lot of those types of folk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, so you kind of alluded to this earlier, um, 
with first go and speak to them. But Matthew 18 does kind of lay out a broad um, guide for dealing with conflict and for uh, addressing these issues. And so um, why don't you kind of go step by step through those? Yeah, like I was explaining that Sunday that we talked about this, uh, Matthew 18, 15 through 17, is just like this premier passage of, you know, relational reconciliation. And the church has often used it as, you know, the pattern of what we do. The thing, the, the one exception I take with how it's most often treated is Matthew uh, 18, 15 through 17 if I remember correctly, is 89 words. Yeah. So I don't think it really constitutes an entire encyclopedia of like everything you'd need to know about every possible situation and how to deal with it. Yeah. I think it's broad strokes. I think it's sort of like a supporting structure. Um, Because the reason I say that is there are different scenarios of offense and hurt that requires slightly different approaches um, to how you deal with it. But on the, you know, in the general, the kind of the populace sort of people getting their feelings hurt or offending each other in, in kind of these, uh, these typical ways that yeah. we do, I think Matthew 18 provides some structure as a guideline. And one of those, the first one is, you go to the person privately. And this is huge because most people don't do this. Mm -mm. This is the step they don't want to do. But I think the wisdom of Jesus is, rather than spread the gangrene, rather than spread the toxic um, hurt and offense that you're feeling, limit it. Keep it keep it um, private initially so that we're not spreading all of that around. That person hurt you. You're feeling offended. You go to them. It's a matter between you and them. It's not a matter between them and your small group. Yeah. It's not a matter of them and your Bible study. It's not a matter of them and your prayer group. It's just between the two of you. So you go and you talk to that person. And again, this is this is a relational um, guideline. This this isn't like a legal guideline. This isn't like a corporate guideline. You're really going to that person out of a sincere love for them as a brother and sister in Christ and, and wanting the best. Yeah. Like, I just want to go and talk with Wyatt and see if we can figure out where, where that hurt happened and how so that he and I don't have to live in the, the junk of resentment or bitterness or anger. And so... Um, I think it's just a real personal sort of hopefully warm-hearted, sincere attempt to reconcile. So you go to them privately, 
And then the passage continues. If if they're not having it, they're, they they don't agree. They're not willing to work through it. Um, they're not um, open to the discussion. Then the passage gives us sort of a next step, and that next step would well then find one or two other brothers or other sisters, and go as a group to talk to that person. And I think this is really important is you just invite some people, hey, would you help White and I talk through something? He and I, we talked about it initially, but we couldn't really make any, uh, gain any ground. Would you come and hear, you know, his side of the story, hear my side of the story, maybe offer some advice. So we're looking for some wise people to go along with us. I think two things that are real important, you're looking for people who can be helpful not people who can take your side. Yeah. And then secondly, you're looking for people who um, can be objective and um, we don't contaminate them before we go into that meeting. Like, hey, would you go out to coffee with me? Wyatt and I are working through something I'd like to tell you. And then we just go to coffee and we just spread all this toxicity about, you know, our perspective of what happened. Mm -hmm. So now they're coming to the meeting with me and you to help, but they're already mad at you because I've filled their head with a bunch of, you know, my perspective. And this happens all the time. It's just gross. And then the third step is, okay, if, if we two or three people went and we weren't able to come to a place of reconciliation and understanding, it says, tell it to the church. And my interpretation of that is that we're going to the church's leaders who hopefully represent, you know, sort of a wiser, mature perspective and, and a responsibility to help preserve and protect unity and love. So now they're, they're bringing, oh, whatever you want to call it, they're bringing their influence as the leaders of the church to bear to say, hey, White, this is important for you and Paul to work this out. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not infecting the leaders with your side of the story first. It's saying, hey, White and I, we are having a hard time figuring something out and be in harmony with each other. Could you help us sort this out? I think that's what, I think that's what the nature of Matthew 18 is about, is take care of it personally then maybe a very small circle of people, and then maybe some people with a different level of influence to bring to account how important love and unity is. Yeah. And it's really a discipleship or it's really a mentoring sort of opportunity for two people to grow in their relationship with Christ. Um, again, I'm a big fan of Matthew 18, and I do think there's... Uh, enormous amounts of application and wisdom in it. I'm not necessarily convinced that it's the it's the final word on every single possible scenario. Yeah, no. Um, because we can look at some some situations in like the book of First Corinthians where it seems like the church took a bit of a different approach in confronting sin in other situations, either regarding leaders in the church or 
um, sort of this outlandish, immoral behavior that was happening. We don't see examples of of somebody going to the the immoral person first and say, "Hey, can we work?" It was a it was a confrontation of the church's leaders to say this will not be permitted here. Yeah. So I do think the New Testament illustrates some different scenarios that call for a different approach. But in the normal give and take of community life between brothers and sisters, Matthew 18, Matthew 5, are uh, really important uh, guidelines. You know, it's it's interesting every Sunday, and it's kind of a joke around Cibolo, is I usually run out of time before I run out of material. Mm-hmm. And um, and so there's times toward the end of a message I'm uh, getting to my conclusion, but I'm not there yet. And so I have to do some really quick editing to try to finish somewhere on on time, right? And I remember that particular Sunday I, w- I was ticking through this material, and I I had so much more that I wanted to share. And I ended up having to, you know, totally rewrite you know, on the fly, I had to rewrite my conclusion. And I I didn't get to a point, and I'm still kicking myself a little bit about it. I'll have to come back to it at another um, occasion. But my my conclusion for that particular message, I think that was part three of our community series or our um, redemptive community series. I wanted to say to our church family, hey, um, in the interest of developing a culture here where we're going to pursue uh, relational reconciliation in healthy ways, let's, let's develop some terms or some language that we'll all understand yeah. what we mean when we say it. And I was going to introduce them to, let's, let's, let's talk about a Matthew 5, or let's talk about a Matthew 18 where we could say to each other, sounds like you might have a Matthew 5 to do. Sounds like you might have to do a Matthew 18. If we could have that shared language as a church family and everybody was kind of clued in to what that means and committed to doing it, it could go a long way. Yeah. Because imagine the person who's been hurt, they go to their community group, and they're saying, you know, it's all often disguised as a prayer request. Hey, uh, <laughs> I'd like you to pray for Wyatt because he, he really ticked me off. And, and we, rah, 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 we whine and grind on, on the offense. And we're infecting that, you know, mm-hmm. community group. What if, what if in those conversations, whether it's with a group or with just another person in private, and we're saying, hey, I was... White and I, we, he said this thing, and if the person could just literally put their hands up and say, hey, I can't listen to this anymore, it sounds like you have a Matthew 18 to do. Yeah. And if the person who heard that, they knew what that meant, oh, I haven't done the go to Wyatt personally thing. Yeah. I think that could be really healthy. Oh, yeah. It's good accountability. Church. Yes, it's accountability. It could cut off a lot of dangerous talk gossip, all of that stuff. It could cut it off, nip it in the bud. And it would just create this really wonderful structure around which a culture could function. Yeah. And like I said, I I still am kicking myself for that. So 
uh, I'm still trying to find what message series I'm going <laughs> to come back to it in and maybe put it up in the front of my notes rather than at the end <laughs> so that I have time for it. But, uh, yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, the most important part of this whole subject that I'd want people to understand is this is not the job of the pastor. Yeah. This is the job of the people who make up that family. And they have to love unity and love enough to be diligent to protect it. Yeah. Recognizing we're all a mess and we do stupid stuff and we say stupid things. But there's guidelines in the New Testament to give us some instructions about what we do. And if we'll trust God in his design and obey his instructions, then we position ourselves to have a wonderful experience as a church, full of camaraderie and support and encouragement and joy and, and basically to know what it's like to have a wonderful family that is our church. Um, but so many churches, I think, we don't do the hard work of the re relational reconciliation, and so all that junk just piles up either between individuals or groups of people in the church, and it's just sad. You know, the church isn't, it isn't everything that it could be when that's allowed to no. persist. Well, and, and if you allow it, if you don't do the Matthew 5 or the Matthew 18, you're participating in... Mm -hmm the degradation of the church. Yes. That's like you have the, everything you do also builds or tears down slowly. The thing that you're unhappy with or that you should be happy with the church, the right. community you're part of. Exactly. Well, very good. Well, this was good. Hopefully that it's uh, helpful for people and it made sense. Um, I enjoyed it. Any, any closing thoughts? Um, yeah, just one closing thought. So if, if we truly believe that God is a designer and that he always designs with purpose, and then if we believe that the church has a design and that design has a purpose, then the instructions or the design that God has given us about reconciling with each other when offense or hurt has happened um, like I was just saying, if if we honor those designs, we're going to enjoy something that can be truly spectacular. Mm. I love you know Acts chapter two, describing the early church in what verses forty one through forty seven, and it talks and they were in awe. Like it was oh, it was an amazing place. It was an amazing thing to be a part of, and I don't think that that's limited to the first century. No. I think it's possible that a redemptive community can and does exist in the 21st century, and the church that's willing to trust God in his design and honor his instructions about how it best works, that they could live in awe mm. of being a part of such an amazing community of people. And then the flip side is, is that when we ignore the design or we refuse to honor the purposes of God and his instructions, then we sacrifice that. And like um, 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27 warns, when we don't take care of offense or hurt well, um, the Apostle Paul talks about, we, we give the devil a foothold. Mm. So every time two people, you know, become mad at each other or offended by each other, and they refuse to do the hard work of reconciliation, then that's just like opening the door to what Satan wants to do. And he gets his, he gets his foot in the door. And I always play that image out. You know, the longer that we let the reconciliation go undone, then, then he gets his knee in the door. And then the next thing you know, he's wiggled his hips in the door, and now he's, he's got his shoulder in. So now he's, he's in the equation in such a powerful, influential way that he's literally tearing a church apart. Because mm. these things rarely ever go away. Yeah. You know, two people get mad. They don't do the work of reconciliation. So then they end up sort of infecting their circle of friends with the offense. And now their whole, you know, whole life group is mad at somebody or something. And then next thing you know, you literally can build these like multiple camps in a church mm-hmm. over, you know, an offense that happened between two people. And it yep. just grew. And what that is, is that's the devil having a foothold that became much bigger than um, it ever needed to be because two people refused to do the hard work of simply trusting Jesus' design and obeying it. Like, go to your brother in person, privately, and let's talk this through. And if you're not able to do that, then let's get some other people involved see if we can't counsel and nurture reconciliation and and if that doesn't work then let's bring some of the influence of the church's leaders to bear on it and it, at the end of the day we can't even work it out that way then let's just choose to be loving in a really difficult situation and um, doing our best to respect and behave toward each other as brothers and sisters, even though we may be very um, disagreed or divided on something, yeah. So, at the end, you know, at the end of the broadcast, it's do the hard work. Yep. The hard work's hard and awkward, and nobody likes to do it. Few people like to do it. In fact, the person who likes to do it is probably not doing it with the right motives, anyways. Yeah, no. uh-uh. <laughs> And, you know, I'm like the opposite. I'm so conflict avoidant that I I put it off way far longer than it needs to be. But um, do the hard work because the church is worth it. Yeah. The community of faith that you find as a family, brothers and sisters in Christ, it's such a rare and uh, unique thing. Do whatever you can do to protect and to preserve and protect it yeah i think that's that's my heart for this and and trying to mentor a church family towards something that would truly be unique it 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 is no reflection on any other churches in the city 
I'm just responsible for this church. Yeah. I'm the steward of Cibolo Creek Community Church. So in my stewardship of this church, I just I have these very idealistic dreams and desires of what I could imagine it to be as I read the pages of the New Testament and think, how, how could we bring this to life here? Mm. And I think that whole spirit of awe that we read about in Acts 2 is really, of really, it enamors me. And I would say that the whole relational peace and tranquility of a church family is probably the premier demonstration of what could be awesome if people enjoyed it. I agree. I agree. All righty, sir. Well, I enjoyed it as per usual. Yes, thank you, sir. Absolutely. And we will... I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that new episodes are released every Wednesday. If you'd like to listen to our Sunday morning messages, you can find those by searching Cibolo Creek Messages. And finally, if you'd like to learn more about Cibolo Creek Community Church, you can find us at CiboloCreek.com. Thanks for listening.